Amen. Thank God for, for Pastor Ventus and for uh, his opening his doors uh, to a guest whom he uh, had never met visibly, but we've certainly spoke over the phone, and I thank God for him and for his spirit. Uh, thank God for this wonderful church. Um, your hospitality resonates um, from the time one gets in the neighborhood. Um, I, I felt the atmosphere uh, of this place as I entered to the parking lot, um, and it was certainly uh, without question uh, felt when I entered into this sacred space. Uh, that has more to do than with the brick and mortar. It has to do with the people um, and the presence of God in you and in this place. And so certainly thank God for you. Thank God for the ministry of music uh, to uh, this deacon, Brother Chris White, who uh, was hospitable to me on the phone on yesterday and uh, made himself available to meet any need that I had. But I'm from Oklahoma. And when I arrived at the University of Oklahoma, the Sooners were on television, and I just wanted... Now, I know they're coming up next week, amen? But today, we all on the Lord's side, amen? Um, uh, pastor somewhat elevated me uh, nationally, but in October, I'll become the president of our state convention, amen? Uh, which I'm looking forward to, unless he knows something I don't know. Amen. <laughs> amen. Um, a couple of more things, amen. While I'm here, uh, I've got some duties to take care of when I get home. My uh, wife and I last week uh, celebrated our 25th uh, wedding anniversary. Amen. And we've not yet celebrated because I am here. So I'll have to hurry up and get home. Um, the second thing I need to say, and I say this everywhere I go, uh, our oldest son is 23. Uh, he's blessed us with our first grandson, uh, who's four months old, amen. Uh, and uh, other than the Lord changing my life, let me tell you something. Everybody told me it's just different when you get a grandchild. It is different, amen. But we thank God, uh, certainly, uh, for you, you didn't come to hear me talk, uh, and it really doesn't matter who I am, uh, but it does matter who I come to talk about. Amen? Uh, if you'll join me in uh, Paul's uh, letter to the church uh, at Rome. Um, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and uh, I want to call our attention to that uh, 31st verse. Um, you'll find... Um, the entire chapter being one that we're quite familiar with, but my focus will be on verse 31 um, through the end of the chapter. Verse 31, reading uh, from the New American Standard Version, uh, the Bible says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Uh, that, that's a shouting verse. Um, I, I want to talk about what shall we say to these things? Listen, uh, as a child, I, I enjoyed uh, family vacations and uh, family vacation that, that resonates uh, in my memory the most is uh, when I was about the age of seven, my sister was four. Uh, my father uh, had a brown Buick station wagon. A lot of young people here don't know what those are. 
my sister and I rode in the back without seat belts. We just laid down, rolled over. Uh, we took a trip from Tulsa to California, uh, went to Los Angeles, uh, Disneyland, but what stuck with me the most is when we went north of Los Angeles to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, I saw uh, a monument, a bridge that I'd seen in many pictures of the kid, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, and that bridge, uh, it, it really fascinated me to be able to see it visibly. It seemed uh, as if it was the largest structure I'd ever seen. It was not until I grew older that I came to understand that that wonderful piece of architecture cost literally $35 million to erect. Now, that was in 1937. Now, whether it's 1937 or 2017, $35 million is still $35 million. Listen, in 1937, that bridge took two phases uh, to erect. Uh, the first phase uh, went a little slow, uh, but the second phase went a little bit more rapidly. Uh, the first phase took longer because when they uh, did the first phase, they didn't use any safety nets. And so the men that were working on the bridge, as a matter of fact, uh, it is documented that 15 men plummeted to their death. And if you can imagine the other men who were up working, uh, seeing these men plummet uh, to their death, they began to work a little slower. Uh, and the reason they worked slower, it was not simply because the men had died, it's because they were working without a safety net. But then in the second phase, somehow the engineers got the idea that we might be able to increase productivity if we put a safety net down. So in the second phase, uh, they began to work much more rapidly, did not keep the men from falling, but when they fell, they had something to catch them. Somebody ought to talk to me in this place. Listen, uh, you, you can serve the Lord a, a whole lot better uh, when you know there's somebody under you uh, that can catch you when you fall. I believe the psalmist says that he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And the fact of the matter is when we're serving the Lord, we can work much harder and diligently for the Lord if we know there's somebody who will catch us. Listen, we need to understand that security, security is a very vital element when it comes to life. There, many of us have set up retirement plans, 401ks. We've invested in mutual funds in order that we might have some sense of security. There are many of us through prayer and even through retreats. We are trying to build security in our relationships because we want to be sure. But the fact of the matter is, the only thing you can be sure about is your relationship with the Lord. Listen, anything else uh, you put your trust in is going to let you down. Now, anything, whether it's your bank, uh, whether it's your government, whether it's even sometime our leaders, they will let us down. But I believe I'm in Bible country right now that somebody knows the Lord will never let you down. And so the only security you have is your relationship with the Lord. I believe Jesus says that nobody can pluck them out of my hand. Listen, uh, uh, Romans 
8 and 31, by, by, by many standards for many believers, uh, is the most comforting verse uh, to many saints of God. Uh, when Paul says rather rhetorically, what shall we say to these things? Then he answers his own question. If God be for us, who shall be against us? Now, uh, under the general umbrella of the question, what shall we say to these things? Paul uh, asked a number of more microscopic questions that might help us better understand the big question he asked in verse 31. Uh, the big question, what shall we say to these things? And the supporting question, if God is for us, who shall be against us? How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will lay a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who condemns? And then finally, Paul says, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen, uh, as we run through this text, first thing, Paul says, there is no opposition. Listen, my brothers and my sisters, we're not saying that you won't face an enemy, you won't face trial and trouble in your life. But if God be for you, he's more than the world against you. It was John the Elder that said, greater is he who is in us than he who was in the world. Uh, Jesus, when he walked this earth, said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome uh, the world. Uh, there's no denying that, that our days may be hard, but there's equal no denying that God has been good. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Despite who or what comes against you and I, God is for you. So Paul says, what shall we say to these things? Then he uses that Greek word, if. It's not a term of uncertainty, but a term of certainty. Uh, he's literally challenging uh, the, the, the enemy and uh, the host that are with the enemy. Who is it that can stand against God? Listen, I love to study uh, great saints of the past, and John Calvin said that uh, John Mark Romans 8.31 was his life verse. And listen, I don't know what your life verse is, but a life verse is simply your go-to verse. Uh, whenever uh, tears are in your eyes and whenever storm clouds are over your head, you, you need to have a verse you can go to uh, where you can simply encourage yourself with the word of God. Listen, I don't care what those who psychoanalyze say. You ain't crazy for talking to yourself. You crazy if you don't talk to yourself. As a matter of fact, uh, the issue is not talking to yourself, but what do you say to yourself when you talk to yourself? If you're grounded in the word of God and you can speak the word in your life, listen, when trouble comes, if God be for us, who can be against you? God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. Listen, when trials are in your life, Gotta have a life verse to give you comfort and give you confidence. Listen, I shared, I've got two sons. My oldest is 23, my youngest is 17. When those boys were little, they loved to watch the movie, The Lion King. Lion King, there was a young cub, y'all remember by the name of Simba. And Simba was surrounded by uh, some hackling and some, some, some irritating hyenas. Uh, and Simba 
uh, decided to himself that, that he was going to rear up and he was going to brace up and he was going to roar and scare off the hyenas. Uh, but lo and behold, uh, before Simba could uh, get his mouth open, he heard the roar of his father uh, behind him. And when his daddy roared, the hyenas ran. Listen, many of us are trying to fight stuff in our own strength. But the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not counter. Too many of us trying to save our loved ones all by ourselves. But the fact is there is a lion of the tribe of Judah. And when you allow your daddy to roar behind you, the Bible says that the enemy must flee and run. So Paul Paul says there's no opposition. So Paul argues literally when he says there's no opposition, he argues from the greater to the lesser. He says, listen, if God has done the big thing, now what's the big thing? He said, listen, he who spared not his own son, listen, I want you to know the greatest miracle to ever take place is not when he opened uh, uh, the deaf ears and uh, opened uh, blind eyes. It's not when he touched the man's tongue and gave him the ability to speak without having gone through any speech therapy. It's not uh, when he miraculously uh, 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 multiplied the loaves and the fish. The greatest miracle is when gee, God, by the power of the Spirit, raised his son from the grave. And if God can raise his son from the grave, what makes you think he can't put food on your table when you're unemployed? What makes you think he can't heal your body when the doctors have given up on you? What makes you think he can't bring back that relationship that you've given up on? Listen, if God has done the great thing, he can certainly do that much smaller thing. We live in a time, and I have it even on my license, where I'm an organ donor. And many have donated, and some of you may have donated a kidney, may have donated some other part of your anatomy or body, but I want you to understand that the greatest uh, organ that can be donated is the gift of a heart. And what I want you to understand is, is that when God donated something in order to spare you and I from the wrath and the penalty of sin, he didn't give just little, any little old organ. Uh, the Bible said he spared not his own son. He didn't ask for somebody else's son. He gave up his own son. And if God loves us that much, that he would demonstrate his love in that way, uh, we ought to believe that God will do anything uh, in order to be with his children. Paul says there's no opposition. But then Paul secondly moves into the legal area. And Paul says there is no condemnation in verse 33 and 34. When he moves into the legal area, he wants us to understand that you and I are represented uh, by the greatest law firm to ever exist. Uh, this law firm, Paul says, has an office in heaven and an office on earth. Somebody talk to me in this place. And so Paul says being represented uh, by the Trinity law firm, uh, Paul uh, literally uh, begins to imagine some hypothetical charges. Y'all know what trumped up charges are. Uh, so Paul says, listen, I'm going to come up with some trumped up and bogus charges. And Paul says, I'm literally going to hurl them out in the universe and, and dare anything 
to challenge uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their ability to represent us. And so Paul triumphantly and defiantly challenges any creature in heaven and earth to answer or deny what the Lord is doing. Paul says he demonstrates this by the significance of the doctrine of election. He says, listen, uh, the Lord chose us. He says, we are the elect of God. And if God chose you, that means that God is going to take care of you. Listen, you didn't choose him. He chose you. And if God chose you, that means he's going to hold on to you. Uh, listen, uh, I know y'all might be tired of family stories, but when my boys were small, I used to pick them up. And I'd swing them around. I mean, all the way around in the circle. And uh, initially, they would be petrified, afraid they were going to fall. But I would notice that they were holding on to me, Pastor, with all their might and all their strength. But eventually, they'd begin to get weak. And I'd say, what's wrong? You look afraid. They say, Daddy, I'm afraid I'm going to slip. I said, let's try this. Rather than you holding on to me, let me hold on to you. Somebody ought to talk to me. Uh, too many of us are trying to hold on to the Lord, but your grip can get weak. But let the Lord hold on to you. And the grip of God's grace will never let you go. So Paul says literally the Lord will intercede for you in that divine courtroom. He refers uh, to the word of a defense attorney, meaning an advocate, meaning a lawyer who's literally never lost a case. And the fact of the matter is, if the Lord is on your side, you don't have to worry about what accusations may come against you and I. That's why Paul says in the beginning of Romans 8, uh, there is no condemnation. No charges can be brought. None of your past sins can be brought up because you've been saved not only from the penalty, but you're being sanctified from the very power of sin. You may not be perfect yet, but the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Somebody talk to me in this place. I may not be what I ought to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. And thank God I don't look like what I've been through. Because God is all over me, and he's keeping me alive. Won't God give you joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away? Somebody over here, no, he'll give you peace that passes all understanding. It will keep and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But too many of us, looking for security and trying to fix it all by ourselves. I can remember a young man who was in a philosophy class in college. And story and rumor had gone around that this particular professor was the most difficult professor in the university. As he was preparing for the final exam in philosophy, this young man was afraid, like all the students, they were going to fail because the professor was so difficult. The professor knowing that the test was difficult, uh, told all the students that they could get an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. They could put as much on that paper as they could, and they could bring it in the class and use it for a cheat sheet. You can imagine those students took that sheet of paper, they, they wrote across, they wrote down, they wrote in between, they wrote so small, they literally could not read what they wrote on the paper. 
So when testing time come, they all came in with their eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper crammed with notes. As they sat down to take the test, this one student came in. He had a blank sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11. He put it down in the middle of the floor. He called in his friend who was an advanced philosophy student. He had him stand on the sheet of paper. He asked him the answers to the test. Somebody ought to talk to me. While you trying to figure it out, while you trying to work it out, you need to understand Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Why are you crying? Why are you worried about it? Just call on the name of the Lord and he'll, he'll work it out. But then last, last but not least, so we can move on. This is my first time to Cincinnati. I've been to Columbus. For the simultaneous headmen of Cincinnati, I won't enjoy the city. Amen? Thirdly, Paul says there is no separation. And when Paul says there is no separation, verse 35 through 39, Paul uses this, uh, this conjunction, but. But in all these things, in these things, Paul says he is convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Listen, this verse 35 is one of the most misread verses in the Bible because we misread it, Pastor, and we think it says that nothing will separate uh, our love from Christ. But it does not say that nothing will separate our love from Christ. And I'm glad it doesn't read that way because our love for Christ can be lukewarm sometimes. Matter of fact, we can sometimes be like the church at Laodicea. Sometimes we're not cold or hot. It depends on what Sunday it is. It depends on what choir is singing. Depend on who preaching. Y'all not going to talk to me. Depend on whether or not our outfit was fitting right or we got the right suit at the cleaners. Y'all ain't going to talk to me in this place. I'm so glad that my security is not dependent on my love for the Lord. But it's dependent on the Lord's love for me. Listen, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, I flew. I flew up here alone. I didn't fly with family, didn't fly with my wife. But recently we were flying to California. I was preaching. Uh, in Corona uh, for a friend of mine. And uh, my wife doesn't like when flights take off. And so she'll hold my hand and grip it tight. And, and as we were uh, coming into Las Vegas, we got in those mountains, and, and the plane, it, it literally began to, to, to rock and shake. And I began to explain to my wife something about turbulence. There are literally uh, three kinds of turbulence. Uh, the first type of turbulence is predictable. It's called storm turbulence. It has something to do with uh, the atmospheric pressure. Now listen, uh, the pilot uh, and the meteorologist, they can predict storm turbulence. They know it's coming. But when it comes, it literally will make it feel like the plane has been taken out from underneath you. And the interesting thing about turbulence is you actually feel it. When you get to 30,000 feet, but also at 30,000 feet, that's when the pilot tells you you can unbuckle your seatbelt. And so at the moment when you think you can be most secure, you find yourself feeling most insecure. 
But not only is there storm turbulence, but there's also what's called mountain wave turbulence. It's when the air and the wind be begin to flow perpendicular to the mountains. And it does such that uh, the, 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 the plane begins to rock and shake. And mountain uh, wave turbulence is turbulence that's also predictable. But you still can't do nothing about it because it's invisible. You can't see it when it's coming. But then last but not least, there's what's called clear air turbulence. You're at 30,000 feet, you're soaring, there's no storm, there's no mountain, everything looked pretty and clear. But all of a sudden, unpredictably, uh, something comes and begins uh, to rock the plane at the moment when you've unbuckled your seatbelt. And the fact of the matter is, the Federal Aviation Commission says there are more injuries on airplanes from turbulence than from anything else. As a matter of fact, at least 150 people a year are injured from some sort of turbulence on the airplane. The reason being is that when you get to 30,000 feet, and you begin to experience the turbulence, that's when you unbuckle your seatbelt. So the fact of the matter is it ain't the pilot's fault. It ain't the airline personnel's fault. It's the passenger's fault because you ain't strapped in. Listen, I want you to know something. My wife will hold on to my hand because she know man can't control the plane when unpredictable trouble come. So she holds on to somebody else's hand. And what I want to know is when trouble comes in your life, are you strapped in? Do you have somebody to hold on to that can hold you when the storms of life are raging? The fact of the matter is there is a ship of Zion and you've got to be strapped in to the ark of safety. The Bible says you got to give him your hand, give him your heart. The Bible says that over 2,000 years ago, there's a man by the name of Jesus that hung, bled, and died on the cross for your sins and for mine. The Bible says they hung him high, stretched him wide. The Bible says they pierced his side and blood and water came streaming out. My Bible says they buried him in a borrowed tomb. But early, 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 one Sunday morning, he got up with all power on heaven and earth in his hands. And if you're strapped in to Jesus, ain't no enemy. Paul says, ain't nothing coming, ain't nothing going. No height, nor depth, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. I'm thankful that I'm secure and I'm safe in the arm of Jesus. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We are safe in the arm of Jesus. And until I see him coming back, I'm going to trust and never doubt that our Lord will bring me out. You ought to just take your burdens, take your trial, your trouble to the Lord, and leave. Leave them there. God bless your hearts.